three-way moviegasm. This podcast is in two parts. This is part one. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. My name is Sasha Stone. I'm here with Ryan Adams, both of us from awardsdaily.com, and Craig Kennedy from livinginsinema.com. Today on the podcast, which is our eighth podcast since we started Three-Way Moviegasm, we're going to be talking about the best actress race, uh, specifically Annette Benning in The Kids Are All Right, and whether or not she uh, gives an equal performance with Julianne Moore, and also um, her performance um, in competition with Natalie Portman for Black Swan. And we're also going to talk about 1965, the Oscar year when um, most notable for the year that Dr. Strangelove did not win um, Best Picture or any other Oscar. So The Kids Are All Right um, is a film that features two great actresses. In fact, I'd like to say here and now that 2010 is a great year for directors and a great year for actresses specifically. Um, usually it's, it's the actors that kind of lead the charge, but this year it's all about the actresses and two great performances. Shit. My mucus in my throat. This is, I've got to stop giving (laughs) blowjobs. This is really, don't I wish? No. Just more deep throat. throat. If only, if only less blowjobs were a problem for me, that would be great. Um, All right, so three great performances we're going to be talking about today, and that is actually two great performances and one very good performance, I would say. So we're talking about Annette Bening in The Kids Are All Right and her co-star, Julianne Moore. And we're also talking about Natalie Portman in Black Swan. Anybody else want to join? (laughs) Well, I can say that we've heard a lot from our readers, even before anyone saw the movie, that everyone loves both Annette Bening and Julianne Moore so much that they are just really eager for them both to have a role that they can take all the way to the Oscar Mm-hmm. And because they think that they both really deserve one. And I think when people heard about this movie and heard that they were a couple, that they had in their mind that, that the roles were equal. And, of course, in a partnership in the movie, as a, as, a, as a married couple, they are equal. But the roles are not equal and the performances are not equal. And you don't really understand that unless you've seen the movie. Not everyone's going to agree with that. Some people are going to really like what Julianne Moore does as a more maybe more naturalistic what interpretation or whatever, I see it differently. I see that Annette Benning was totally enveloped by her character from the very first moment you see her on screen, and every word out of her mouth is in the voice of the character. Right. Whereas I think Julianne Moore was really just being really, a really great Julianne Moore. Let me be – if I, I, this, this might be touchy, but I think that what I mean is, because I'm, I know I'm being vague because I'm a little bit afraid of what I'm getting into here, but I think that – when people go to see a movie about a couple, uh, about a married couple that are lesbians, some people want to see them be, le- see them act like lesbians. Right. And of course, we know that 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 that's not the way it is in real life. That we there are people that are lesbians in everyday life that that we that we don't know are lesbians unless they tell us they are. And I think that that's the kind of lesbian that Julianne Moore is playing, uh, a, a woman who you cannot tell that she's a lesbian except by her. I think Annette Benning, on the other hand, I think she plays a more overtly lesbian character, someone who you see, and we know this type of person in real life too, someone who you see and you say to yourself, yes, okay, 
I don't know her very well, but I can tell she's a lesbian or I suspect that she might be. Yeah. And we know that type of person, too. They do exist, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. There are gay people like that, too, gay people who, who blend right in and the gay people who there's no doubt that they're gay. Absolutely true. I was just going to say, at my, my daughter's school, there were, there were several lesbian couples that had kids. And I'm telling you, they weren't, you know, the, the obvious kind of lesbian, you know, the, like, mm-hmm. low-slung jeans, tattoos, short hair, you know, the, the typical, you know, standard a cliche of a lesbian, I suppose. Right. I don't even. I, I think that type of lesbian is really probably pretty rare. Probably I think that's a stereotype very rare. that we don't really see that much. Right. They don't it's, exist it's, that much. It's sort of unfair anyway because mm-hmm. you know straight people are sort of allowed to have an identity uh, in the way they dress and present themselves. Mm-hmm. That people would never like single them out for that and say, well, I guess they kind of do when they say, oh, there goes a slut or. <laughs> you know, um, so I guess you are always kind of defined by your by your dress. But and, and a lot of straight women are accused of being lesbians because of the way they dress and men, too. Right. Mm-hmm. So but my point is that I've, I was really impressed with the kids are all right, because I thought that that those women emulated human beings, the kind of gay couples that I've experienced, you know, as a mom, you know, being mm-hmm. around these other moms. To me, it was incredibly realistic. They didn't. Um, you know, they didn't stereotype them one way or the other. They were just complex human beings. I really appreciated that. Of the two, I found Benning's performance way more um, complex, way more. She was in command of that character. Uh, everything she said was interesting and strange. And she, you know, she was dealing with her age at the same time. She was trying to keep her family together, dealing with like a, a little bit of a drinking problem and. You know, it wasn't like, I'm a lesbian, I have lesbian problems. It was like, I'm a woman keeping my family together, and this is how, this is my struggle doing that, you know. Mm -hmm. I just want to be clear, you guys are basically saying you liked Annette Bening in this movie more than you liked Julianne Moore. Right, I am saying that, that. yeah. Mm -hmm. I think her performance was more impressive. I I like them both equally, and, and I like both. I like what they both did with their characters equally. But I think that as as an Oscar, if we're talking about the Oscars, I think that the sh- that the more showy performance was at Net Benning. I think she had greater range in her character arc, what she had to go through. And like Sasha says, I believe she's a more interesting character. And that's just the way it was written. And I believe I hope I like to think it's a it's a choice that was made between the two actresses and the director that they decided to go this way with it. And then that's in no way to fault what Julianne Moore did with it but i think that she didn't have the the character or the role that was as as complex yeah that's what that's what i think too do you do you not agree with that craig i i think i'm a little biased because actually the best annette benning performance of the year was in a totally different movie um Mm. mother and child which nobody actually saw so it's it doesn't have a chance in hell of, of getting any kind of a nomination but um when i see her and the kids are all right i can say yeah she's great but then in the back of my mind, I'm saying, but she was better in this other movie that that's not getting any attention. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it is. And it, it, uh, it makes me want to see Mother and Child. I've heard a lot about it and I do need to see it, but I don't really have a lot that I can add to that. But as far as Julian Moore, though, do you, how do you feel about them and, and, the, and the kids are all right? As far, uh, um, I thought they were equals. Um, I think Annette Benning had the more magnetic part, but. Julianne Moore's character was integral to the action of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. She kind of um, she, she was central to one of the key conflicts in it. So it's hard for me to sort of make her secondary. 
Hmm. Ah, I see what you mean. I, that's true. I mean, she was absolutely integral to the to the uh, to the plot. But I, I I think that she almost functioned in that way as a as a as a plot device, and and not not to demean what she did in any way. Because, but I do think that that the conflict that she got herself embroiled in was more of a situation type thing instead of a, a an actorly type thing. And 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 um, so I understand the importance that she played in the movie, that, that her character played in the movie. But I just think that, and maybe it's a function of the fact that is it okay to say that I got the strong impression that that and that Benning was like the husband of the relationship? No, that's that right. I, because, I thought that she was the head of the household, which was why. Yeah. And when he came, when uh, Mark Ruffalo kind of stomped in, like I'm the guy, I'm going to take over because this family really needs a guy. She was so personally offended, as anyone would be, you know, if they were sure. the head of the household. Um, I, I found that his character, I was glad that, that he kind of drifted off, you know, at first when I heard like Jeff Wells and other people talking about how they felt that the guy character was given the short shrift and he should have been kept in the family and that that was a problem in the movie and it had been in the original script. But I feel like I didn't think that at all because I thought that I got the impression he was trying to take over, you know, he was trying to. Um, you know, get with Julianne Moore, adopt the kids and push out Annette Benning as if she's not a vital part of the family because, oh, they're just lesbians, so they're not real parents, you know. Yeah, that wasn't clear at the beginning, I'm, but it, it sure became clear at the end that that's what was on his mind because he says it outright. I mean, he yeah. just up front says, you know, let's run off together. Sorry, Craig, what were you I'm glad I'm, I, I'm, I'm glad that Sasha brought that up because that's one of the main criticisms about the movie is the handling of the is this the handling of the Mark Ruffalo character without revealing how the thing turns out for the people who haven't seen it. Um, but I think that um, the handling of the character is, is sort of the whole point of the movie. Um, it's not Mark Ruffalo's movie. He's, he's an, he's an intruder on this family. And the whole point is that this family is built on love, not on genetic material, just because he is the guy who donated the sperm that led to the creation of these children does not make him a father. Mm. Um, and I think, and, and that's ultimately what the whole movie is about. So to treat the character the way he was treated is perfectly natural and it, it completely fits. So Yeah, I agree and, with that. Well, like Annette Benning said to him, she said, if, if, if you want to be the head of a family, go make your own. Right. And, you know, I, I do give a little credence to this argument that she is a, she does come off as a bit harsh to him. But especially at first, but I liked that because to me she she is an unhinged character, and I liked mm-hmm. how they didn't feel that they had to make her perfect just right. because she's playing a, a lesbian. Yeah, I feel like um, a lot of gay portrayals are have to be perfect and have to be noble because people are so critical of them anyway. That um, I was kind of relieved to see that they allowed Annette Bening to have flaws and Julianne Moore to have flaws, even though I'm not entirely sure I buy that she would have slept with that guy. You know, that, that people was- said that too. I really don't have a problem with that. I know plenty of gay people who, who, uh, have straight, I mean, who, who have straight, um, affairs and, and plenty of straight people who have gay affairs. Yeah. You know? I don't know. It just and, seemed weird to me. Like what, what would have been in her mind? I mean, I guess it goes back to her being a flawed character and needing something, but it just. A flawed character and they, and they were having sex problems in their relationship. So to me, I thought they built it up. They, they justified it extremely well. It was an extreme reaction on her part to do that. But I think all the evidence was there to sort of point her in that direction. Hmm. You know, she was, she was, uh, 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 they were having a hard time and it was a confusing time in their 
relationship. So she naturally looked outside of that relationship in, in the most extreme way that she could. Right. Um, and I think also um, maybe that maybe there's a thought in her head that it's not a, it's not cheating in the same way if she does it with a man as if she had done it with a woman. You know, I can I think I think uh, people justify it that way as well. Right. That's a really positive. good motivation. I think that's a great explanation. And I also liked how the sex was awkward, you know, and not fulfilling and perfect in the way movie sex usually is. You know, it was awkward and strange. Um, you know, they did they did what they could, but it wasn't like they took it was. You know, you contrast that with the scene in the beginning when he's having sex with that other woman, and how sort of easy that is compared to sex with Julianne Moore, which is a little bit off. Like she doesn't quite know what she's doing, and so I thought that was pr- probably pretty true. Um, yeah, it was like they were in high school. Yeah. Right, and I mean, it's great that people can identify with that part as being true, but but that's why I don't understand why people can't be equally tolerant of the fact that, and I think this happens among some of the the gay readers that we have on the site, saying, "Oh, sure, you're going to have a movie about lesbians, and of course one of them is going to have to drift and have sex with a guy, or else we don't have a movie, right?" And even straight people who want to be careful to be politically correct kind of think, mm, "Maybe that is a little bit odd," but you know that I think that we don't have to have. Just because there are very few gay characters in movies, we don't have to have them all represent all of gay people. We know that this kind of thing does happen, so why can't we show it? Mm, right, you know? right, it does right. happen, so it's not as if it, it, it's a fabricated thing that could never happen. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Um, but you know what? I love that this year directors are, are really saying interesting things in, in the films that, that we're seeing and that – for some reason, I felt like things were heading in a bad direction the last couple of years, but it really is looking good that um, all kinds of things are coming out of the studios and the independents and coming into film festivals. There's just some some great stuff out there. I just want to... And isn't it great that we've been able to talk all this time about the kids are all right and not have to mention that, the, that it was directed by a woman? Right. Although I've just blown it. I just did. So. <laughs> That's okay. Well, I mean, it's important. I was going right? to add when we were talking about the uh, the controversial part with Julianne Moore and Mark Ruffalo that it might have bothered me more if it had been directed by, and written by a man mm. because it's it sort of fits into the man stereotype of lesbians. Right. Um, but to have a to have it becoming from a woman just made it seem to me a, like a woman who's a lesbian. I would direct right. her who's not only a woman but she's a lesbian herself, and so mm. right. And I the same thing like with. The, Another controversial scene is the, is the uh, Julianne Moore and Annette Bening um, in bed together watching yeah. gay porn, g- gay male porn, and that that's controversial to people as well. But I, I apparently guess so. that happens. It's not controversial if you're a woman, though. I mean, uh, not to not to give too much away here, but um, <laughs> <laughs> just saying that you know. Gay porn is just. Is well, just I, tell, I tell you what, I know of myself. I don't mind saying that straight porn, they don't really care what the guy looks like. That's not what straight guys buy porn for. They don't buy the porn. They don't look at right. porn to see what the guys look like. They're interested in the girls. And so they drag any guy off the street. And they're not always like all that attractive, you know? Right. But gay porn, it is. You can depend on some. You're going to have all, all the full range of, of gay. Of, of male um, good looks in, a gay, in gay porn. And it's hot. I'm sorry, but it is. Yeah. Gay porn, male or female, is hot. <laughs> sorry, I should probably cut that part out. <laughs> I'm going to start it's sounding fine. really I think it's good gross. Because we're, we're, we're justifying the fact that it's in the movie, right? Yeah, I don't mean to sound really repulsive and horrifying to everybody because I am an old lady. But <laughs> it is moviegasm, after all. We have it's to have movie-gasm. a little bit about gay porn yeah, or, yeah. or masturbation in every episode. <laughs> 
That's right. <laughs> Got to have the money shot. <laughs> my problem with the gay porn that they watch is, oh my gosh, where do they find that gay I porn know. from the 1970s or something? It's the too. worst. It's one of the worst examples. I can recommend them much better gay porn than that. <laughs> I know. I was thinking that too, Ryan. I was thinking, well, you know, it's not so bad that they're doing gay porn, but that movie, come on. That's like reminding me of the movie in um, The Big Lebowski. You know? <laughs> <laughs> because, oh, let me guess, she, he fixed her cable. <laughs> Don't be fatuous, Jeffrey. <laughs> Don't be fatuous, Jeffrey. Speaking of Julianne Moore. Really? So I was about to say she's in the same scene. I know. And she's like, the, what did she say? The story is ludicrous. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why we love her. And it's just why I do wish that, 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 that we could say that they could both be nominated this year. But I just really don't think there's a chance. I don't even, I'm not even sure that Julianne Moore will be nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Just don't, I, don't I don't think see so that either. No, I don't. Um, but, but you know, the real question is, is Annette Bening going to actually beat Natalie Portman for Best Actress? And um, Craig and I had gone to see uh, Black Swan at the Los Angeles premiere as they closed out the AFI Film Fest. And um, so we got to see Black Swan. And I tell you, it's going to be quite a fight there between those two women. Um, as much as much as I like Benning in both Mother and Child and The Kids Are All Right, I think it's Natalie's to lose at this point. The interesting thing about the Oscar race is that it's not always just about the performance. It's a, a lot of times it's about um, the moment in time, the specific moment in time. Uh, is you know is somebody really overdue? Like for instance, Jeff Bridges last year. Jeff Bridges did not give the best performance of the year last year. Uh, Colin Firth did, and in a single man and. But it wasn't Colin Firth's time, but it was Jeff Bridges' time. And everybody kind of rallied around him, and he was getting standing ovations, and he was appearing everywhere. Fox Searchlight had him out everywhere. So if Natalie Portman is to win the Oscar, um, she's going to have to do that. She's going to have to get out. And it's not really her nature to be that sort of person who sells herself like that. So, But she's going to have to if she wants to win. Um, or if Annette... Oh. If Annette Benning does what Julie Christie did and, and kind of doesn't go out and walk the line and work the line and do all that, then she will lose to um, Natalie Portman very easily. Well, that's what I was about to say is that I don't get the feeling that Annette Benning is really much of a, of a uh, glad hander either. I don't get that impression from her that she is really uh, comfortable making the rounds and putting herself out there the way that Jeff Bridges or other people have done. So I can see. She, I can see her doing it because it's her job and she's professional, but I don't see her getting excited about it and really thriving on it. Yeah. Um, the thing about her, and this is going to sound really weird. This is going to sound like a Jeff Wells thing to say, <laughs> but um, the thing is, is, uh, you know, Annette Benning, if she's going to go out in the press, she's going to have to deal with the recent news about her daughter coming out as a transgender and um, because it was all in the tabloids, um, her oldest daughter is apparently going through possibly a sex change operation to become a, a man. And um, that's probably really not only strange for her, but, you know, maybe something she doesn't want to talk about in the press. And so it might be a reason for her not to go out and talk. That's the first I've heard of that. But, you know, it's, it's strange that it would also be something that any interviewer would, would want maybe to bring up, even in relation to the movie as, as part of a, a gay, lesbian, transgender topic, you know, 
but not that not that there's anything similar to that happening in the movie, but just the fact that maybe a, a, a just simply asking her if it helps her relate to the character at all, knowing that her daughter has a uh, gender identity problems. Right. Not a problem, but gender identity uh, uh, issues that she's working through. Yeah, I mean, it was sad that the tabloids kind of exposed her daughter and um, mm-hmm. or son, and. Uh, both Annette Benning and Warren Beatty were, were being quiet about it, but they, you know, they have photographers um, outside their house trying to photograph um, him or her. And the kid, you know, uh, do I, I refer to her as a he, I suppose, if I. I know um, so little about the situation. I think if he, if uh, he wants to become a, a, a guy, then I think that it is, I think we should call him a he. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, anyway, that's that's the only thing I could think of that might keep Annette Benning from um, appearing. But I've seen her; she's doing interviews and stuff, so she is out there. I think in this case, if it's going to be Annette Benning's time, she's going to have to go out and. Has play. anyone brought it up with her? Have you seen her talk about it, address it at all before? No, no, I don't. Yeah, think I think so. if it if it had anything to do maybe with her own personal life, if it was a you know divorce or something, or even if she's going through it the same. Well, never mind. But I mean, I think that she's not going to want to involve her child. No, definitely not. And she's not going to want to have to sit there and field those questions from some asshole reporter who feels like asking them to get a scoop, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, That could very easily become the story for her. You know, every Oscar contender has an Oscar story, quote unquote. What is your Oscar story? Well, hers, you don't want that to be her Oscar story. That would be the wrong, that would be unhelpful as an Oscar story. That would not be the Oscar story you want on. No, I wouldn't think so. Um, I don't think that'll. I don't think that'll happen. I could. I can see that whole thing easily being shut down because it's not like we're talking about Annette Benning directly. We're talking about her kid. So that's. I think anybody would agree that that's off limits. And anybody who would true. anybody yeah. who would bring that up would be quickly and easily shut down, and nobody would even question it. So I don't. I don't really see that becoming a part of the narrative. Hmm. Well, that's good. I hope not, because it shouldn't be. Um, my point, I guess, is that it's not just going to come down to the performance versus the performance. If it does, Natalie Portman has it so in the bag. And the reason is that I found her performance to be one of the best I've ever seen, you know, male or female. There you go. Then that puts it on the level of a Marion Cotillard performance, she, right? She's on the level of a Marion Cotillard. She's on the level of um, uh, Meryl Streep and Sophie's Choice, in my opinion. She's on those level of great performances. And another thing, can I mention, if if Black Swan is also one of the best films of the decade, that's going to make a di- – it's better to carry the movie that is the more important movie than – not that the, the Kids Are All Right is not, not a great movie. It is. It's one of the best movies of the year. But I don't think we can say it's one of the best of the decade, which Black Swan could be one yeah, of the best of the Yeah, but decade. the Academy, they're not that – they're just not that forward-thinking. I mean they don't huh. name movies like Blue Velvet. Blue Velvet doesn't have didn't have a very big impact, um, which it should have. Okay, Blue Velvet, one of the best films, most groundbreaking films, most interesting films ever made. Uh-huh. Um, you know, uh, Black Swan is along those same lines as Blue Velvet, and uh-huh. you know that makes it less palatable for the general public and less palatable for the Academy. Um, I don't think that. It will hurt Natalie Portman because she is so magnificent. She transcends everything. Um, right. Um, um, Marion Cotillard didn't need to be half her movie nominated playing Edith Piaf right. uh, in order to win the Oscar. That movie didn't have to be nominated for anything except Best Actress for her to win. Right, right. There's a slight difference there, though, because people were marveling at how 
amazing it was that she looked just like Edith Piaf. Right. And I think that that's sort of more like the Philip Seymour Hoffman playing Capote kind of, um, or Mm -hmm. Sean Penn playing Harvey Milk. Um, It's a lot more along those lines than it is along. Natalie Portman is sort of more, I mean, because it's a a character made from whole cloth, right? Mm -hmm. She's invented this character. And so to to really appreciate her performance, you have to you have to kind of get into the movie, right? Wouldn't you say that, Craig? It's yeah, you know. Well, do I you think, think what's then- what's 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 great about it is that she's always an actress that I've admired, but I've never really seen her in anything where she's been allowed to be super great. And here for the first time, it seemed like all of her potential just clicked and, and she was kind of transformed on the screen and went from being a, a good actress to a great actress in this movie. I so agree. I was stunned and amazed by what she did. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the premiere just for fun? If you Yeah, please talk about that and also talk about the movie itself because I think that I had been under the impression that it might also be in the running for Best Picture and Best Director, but if you think that it no, may be I, too out there for that. Let me just say right now that... that when I had to put in my gurus of gold predictions, mm-hmm. and if this was a five-year, a five-picture race, Black Swan mm-hmm. would be one of the five, and Darren Aronofsky is going to be one of the five Best Director nominees right. for sure. That's There's- excellent. That's great to know. Yeah, it's it's the first of all the buzzed movies. Uh, uh, it's it's the first of all the Oscar buzzed movies that I've seen where I kind of nodded my head and said, "Wow, yeah, that's one of the that's one of the nominees." Yeah, right. It, it really delivers other- for you, right? Yeah, all the other ones I've seen, I've had you know one issue or another with where I could say, well, you know that was good, but it wasn't great. Right. The only the only issue I have with this one in terms of the Academy is is, is whether it's too dark and too intense for them. They may Which shy is. away from it, yeah. but I I don't think that they will. But I can see that possibility. They'll shy away from it in terms of giving it the best picture win, which arguably. A lot to me, it's like but down to the Social Network and Black Swan as the two best films of the year, um, and I'm really wrestling with it because to me, Black Swan was so unbelievable that I mean, I really do feel like it's it's uh, it's right up there. I, you know, I'll have to see how I feel in a couple of months, right? Because I just saw. Well, you know, it. that's the thing about uh, all whenever we talk about the Oscar race is is we're asked to to make a decision which one is best, which one is going to win. Right. And a lot of times we see these movies, especially when they're still fresh in our minds, we love them both equally. We love right. two or three movies equally, and it's really hard to make a decision. I know, and we don't have to even make a decision. Why should we? Well, I think the voters go through the same thing, and so yeah. it's hard to predict at this point what the voters are going to be thinking at the time that they actually have to mark down their choices. Yeah, you know, the the landscape can change still between now and then. Um, obviously, True Grit hasn't come out yet. Um, the, um, there's a lot of movies that the Academy hasn't even seen. So, you know, right now, Black Swan, we just saw it, so it's kind of the flavor of the minute. But um, right, exactly, it'll be it'll be it'll be interesting to see if it holds up. Where was the premiere? You guys got invited to the premiere. Where, oh, where yeah. was it? Um, it was at the Man Chinese, right? I'll let Craig talk yeah. about this since I feel like I'm talking too much. Um, I don't know that I can. I don't have a lot to say about it. I find the whole uh, – I'm still a little pissed off about that whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about that then too. That's yeah, fun. Yeah, exactly. Tell us about that. Being being part of AFI Fest, they invite the public to come, and you could, as a member of AFI or even as non-members, you could sign, you could go online, and you could get tickets to this thing, well in advance of the actual occasion. Then you show up, assuming that you have a ticket, and you wait in these long, horrible lines 
and um, you get kind of treated like cattle. I I know this because I've been on both sides of it. Um, And in this case, there were so many reserved seats for press and for industry hangers-on and, you know, just all kinds of people. This huge 1,000-seat auditorium was was mostly reserved. There was only a pretty small handful up front of seats available in the front for the for the the ordinary people, and um, so a lot of people showed up thinking they had tickets, waited in line for an hour and a half, and either got really crappy seats or worse, didn't even make it into the auditorium at all and didn't even get to see the movie, which I don't know that I, th- I think that they. They they can't say that in advance that you're probably not going to get in because they honestly don't know until the night of probably how many how many supposed important people are going to show up. But it just it just kind of sucks. It kind of takes the fun out of it. And that night I happened to be lucky enough to be on the other side of it where I got in because of Sasha, so I didn't have to worry about it. But you know it just would you say so? The three three classes of people there: the VIPs, the the really the, the top insiders. Then there are people who are um, members of the, the AI, AFI who can get tickets, and then members of the general public. So there's three different levels. Or there's not even there's not even three. There's no distinguishing between the AFI members. The AFI members have like an extra day to get the reservations. Mm-hmm. They they can they can do it a little bit early, but. Um, well, that's wrong, isn't the, it? Because I was going to say I can is, understand why the people off the street may be people who buy tickets the day of the event because they announced it that morning or something, right? That it was going to be, or that you could get tickets. No, this one was this was oh, okay. the, the the fighter was announced the morning that's of. What I'm you thinking, already yeah. you you already had tickets to the secret screening, not knowing what it was going to be. But with Black Swan, that that was announced, you know, a couple of months ago as being the the closing night gala. I wonder and, how much um, they overbooked. How many tickets beyond what they had seats for do you think they sold? Um, I, it's hard to say. Um, the line that I saw was really long, and then there was another rush line on top of that. Rush line are people who just show up the day of without any kind of tickets or anything. So those people I don't feel so bad about. They're taking their chances. But it's all the other people and the other long line that got shuffled around like cattle and, and probably didn't make it into the to see the movie. Where, where did you end up seating, sitting? We were near the back, which in the Chinese isn't bad because the screen is gigantic. Mm-hmm. And um, I know Sasha likes to sit a little bit closer to be more in- enveloped, but um, it was fine. I don't think there's really a bad seat well, in the house. You can only you can only be too close, I think. Except mm-hmm. for the fact that we were um, <laughs> we were we were uh, in a bo- in a bookcase of bloggers. <laughs> it was like we had Steve Pond and his family on the right, and Thompson over here on the left. There was like James Rocky from cinematical or whatever he no he writes for msn movies now there was the guy um peter from slash film there was um alex from first showing and you know they were just all gathered around us and for me i felt being the kind of a weird shy person that i am i was i was craig and i i was just kept looking over at him going oh my god craig oh my god it kind of impedes gossip for one thing it kind of limits what you can gossip about if everybody around you is overhearing what you're saying especially if you're yeah. talking about them oh and i know i mean it was like it was so you know nicole laporte and richard rushfield were sitting right in front of us and <laughs> It was just really strange. It was very but okay. Yeah, I was I was I was wondering if there was any special event before or after the screening. 
There was a big cattle call party afterwards where everybody kind of shuffled across Hollywood Boulevard to the Roosevelt Hotel, and they herded everybody into this this giant pen, basically. And there was, you know, they were giving away free wine and and crappy vodka drinks on the edges, and it was just this throng of of industry hanger on types, and it was just it, it was weird and pointless. <laughs> and you know if you wanted to do away with all the movie bloggers and the Oscar bloggers all you'd have to have done was bomb the Hollywood Rose <laughs> I was like oh there's Pete Hammond there's Chris Duffley there's Sasha <laughs> yeah. if only Al-Qaeda had known if only they had known that would have been but it was one of the worst I'm sorry Fox Searchlight thank you for inviting us but it was one of the worst parties I've ever been to <laughs> and that includes high school no but um so well, what, they obviously overinvited, and if they hadn't, we probably wouldn't have even been there. Exactly. So we can't really complain. I know, but well, it, they they needed a bigger room for the amount of people that they had. They needed a bigger room. It was li- it literally wall to wall people. I'm not even kidding you. It was wall to wall. And what we did was we made our way. Craig and I awkwardly pushed our way through to the front. I grabbed a quick glass of wine. We pushed our way through the back, and we left. <laughs> That's how it went. <laughs> What was the, what was the uh, attraction to go in the first place? Just to hobnob to, with other people? Well, or? usually when I get invited to an Oscar party, it's it's almost always maybe 20 people and the celebrities and filmmakers are there. That's the, the huh. draw usually. That's why people like to go. Um, but this was definitely a cattle call. It was like everybody from the premiere was invited and the room wasn't big enough. The only cool thing about it was that they had free drinks and that's number one. And the second thing was that they had these like waitresses dressed up as black swan um, with black swan makeup, just kind of standing there and posing. I thought that was really cool. That was one thing. It I was hard, it was hard to notice them though because they they were just surrounded by so many people. I mean, I, I you, you could see them and it was cool, but it's like they didn't really stand out because they were just among the this sweaty throng of people. Sweaty throng, and there were like sort of semi-celebrities there too, like mixed in. I don't know if Natalie Portman and all those guys were there because at the beginning of the screening, Darren Aronoff, well, the first of the AFI guy gave a long, boring speech. <laughs> and then Darren Aronofsky came up and he introduced his whole cast. Oh, should we tell the Winona Ryder story, Craig, do you think? Um, yeah. So he That was a little weird. Yeah. They, he introduced the whole cast and um, they saved Natalie for last, but right before her... Um, he introduced um, Winona Ryder, who was great in the movie, um, and her. The response that, that the crowd gave was a little more subdued for her than it had been for some of the previous people, which I didn't even really notice it. But then Aronofsky kind of made a thing about it, and he kind of played it off like it was just a blasé L.A. crowd about celebrities yeah. and kind of encouraged them to be louder. But I was mortified for Winona because it just kind of pointed out that yeah, it was. Her, Sorry, go ahead. Oh, that, she didn't, that she she didn't get the same response that everybody else did, and it was just kind of weird. Well, first of all, it was um, weird how he he introduced her because he was like, "She's an icon." When I was growing up, she was an icon and a legend, and I always looked up to her. And I thought he was going to introduce, you know, um, I don't know, somebody in their like sixties. He's like right. Winona Ryder, right. <laughs> and then she walks down, and he says, "Oh, you can tell we're in L.A. because people aren't acting impressed." Come on, it's Winona Ryder, and then everybody had to applaud again. And poor Winona was just like wilting on stage. Uh-huh. Well, it's ironic because the character that she plays is sort of the aging ballerina yeah. who's now out of favor for the new and upcoming stars. So it kind of it kind of tied into that a little bit, which it's not true. I think she's still, you know. 
she's as good as she ever was. Yeah. And honestly, when they when they did the end credits um, on the film, she, her they cheered each one of the cast, and hers was as loud as anyone's. Well, yeah. sure, they've got to now well, because they've been scolded for it at the beginning of the movie and the, the applause meter and everything. Oh, no, no, she meter. she has a great scene. <laughs> yeah, was... I was going to ask that because that, that's a good way to segue into asking about the supporting actress uh, contenders. Do you think that there's anyone uh, besides Barbara Natalie Hershey. Portman who stands a chance of being nominated? Well, Barbara Hershey, for sure, is the psycho mother. That is one of the scariest mothers ever put to screen, for sure. I hate to keep speaking in hyperbole, but really, I mean it. It's like she plays this bizarre, suffocating um, ex-ballerina who will not let her daughter grow up, and she's so brilliant um, playing off of Natalie Portman, the two of them with their faces just cracking, you know, trying to smile, and uh, all this fear and despair and neuroses under the surface. They were just such a great team, those two. Oh, my God. But I also think I would, I personally would nominate Winona Ryder, too. Um, I don't mm-hmm. know if she'll get a nomination because it's not that big of a part, but I thought she was fantastic. <laughs> if there's a if there's a groundswell of love for the movie overall, I think she's got a shot. But if there's not, she might get kind of lost in the shuffle. Yeah, it's not a big It one. should be said that Mila, Mila Kunis was great, too. Oh, my God. Uh-oh. Yeah, um, Mila Kunis plays the. I mean, I guess what 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 I would think of as the the actual black swan of the movie. You know, she's this mm-hmm. very sexual, uh, uninhibited, but also kind of weird. You know, like you think that's what she is, but then she kind of turns out to be not that. She's um, she's a strange character. I was just gonna say, I think without spoiling the movie, we can sort of lay out for people who haven't seen it that um, Natalie Portman is a ballerina. She's kind of a goody two shoes uh, good girl, and she gets the lead part in um, uh, Swan Lake, and she's asked to play both the White Swan and the Black Swan. Of course, she's great in the role of the White Swan. But it's a struggle for her to be able to play the the black swan, which is a, a darker, more sensual um, character. And that's pretty. That's kind of the the basic outline of what the whole movie is about. And Mila Kunis is more of the natural for the black swan. She's naturally sexy and mm. um, a little bit a little bit dangerous. And she's she's because she's good at that part. She's kind of she becomes kind of a threat to um, Natalie Portman. That's basically the dynamic of the movie. You don't really need to know anything more about it than that, I don't think. Right, right. So many great roles for women. It does sound like that women would women in the in the audience would really like this movie. But I've heard that there may be some resistance or some uh, some problems with that women might have with it. Or do you th- I had heard that. I don't know where it's coming from because I think every you know it is it is all of the things that women sort of deal with on a daily basis. And I was surprised that this was coming from a male writers and a male director, you know, I couldn't mm, believe right. it actually. And I, I understand now how it is that women kind of fall for Aronofsky because <laughs> he's always got some new woman, you know, and I always wondered like, what in the hell, but he must have some sort of um, insider knowledge. He must just really know women well, because I thought it was the opposite. Like I, I would think that, um, most women would really embrace it because they see so much of, of uh, the difficulties that, that we face, you know, aging and, and sexuality. And um, I mean, she's dealing, Natalie Portman's dealing with so many different uh, competing emotions. And it is like, the, it is to me the psyche of the female, you know, on screen. Yeah, it's, it seems to run the whole gamut of, of the 
female experience. I mean, I'm saying that as a man, I can't obviously say. You mean sure. among the different female characters, not just Natalie Portman herself, but, but right. among all of the characters who are on screen. Yeah, because right. in a way, the film is like. They're all, all facets of the same um, same psyche. Exactly. Except Natalie, Natalie embodies them all. That's what makes her so remarkable. I mean, all, the, the elements are all there in all the other characters, but they're all contained also within Natalie Portman. Yeah. Um, Interesting is that, that. Is uh, that fair to say? I think so. Yeah. In fact, I one of the things I loved about it was that it was, you know, it was a it was a moving work of art because you you really could take this one being and put it in the middle, and then all these little little people falling off of it. You know, but they're mm-hmm. all the same person. You know, it's 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 in a way the movie is just one person's experience, but in in another way, it's everybody's experience. Really great stuff from Darren Aronofsky. Gotta say, getting 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 back to what you were saying before about Darren Aronofsky and women, um, he seems to have this knack for getting great female performances in extremely challenging uh, roles. I mean, um, Ellen Burstyn and. Um, um, and then now Natalie Portman and even all the supporting characters that we talked about. Um, right. And Jennifer so he, Connelly too. And yeah, I was going to say Jennifer Connelly. Um, and it is interesting also because going into it, I'd heard some of the scenes that, uh, some of the more controversial scenes, there's a, um, sexual with a masturbation and a, um, a lesbian sequence and I kind of thought you know it's just going to be sort of male fantasy exactly. and that kind of thing but it, it really wasn't it it was handled beautifully like every scene in the movie it surprises you just that's why we don't want to give away any spoilers because spoilers will you know this is probably a good chance we, we wanted to in the podcast talk about spoilers because We've had some complaints that we give too many spoilers away in our in our podcast, but at the same time, it's hard for us to talk about movies without sort of spoiling it. Um, but with Black Swan, like Ryan, for instance, you've read the script, right? So you know a lot of what's happening, and it's not going to diminish your experience of it because you. That's say, okay for me because I've I, I've learned that that's another way that I can enjoy the whole experience of a movie. I see I don't see the movie as just what's on screen. I see the whole creative process, or I try to enjoy it that way and so and i like to be informed about what i'm seeing so i have something to write about because i don't get always get invited to do the premieres of course and so Mm. i need to stay on top of it a little bit and so it's all part of uh, what i get out of um, uh, the experience right but you know i totally agree with you i'm somebody who doesn't mind spoilers but i was appreciative that i didn't know and i didn't know that much about black swan I'd heard it was really good, but I had no idea that that these little tiny surprises were waiting in every scene of the movie. Mm-hmm. And so the best way to see it, if possible, is just to go in fresh without reading or hearing anything. Um, and unfortunately, Jeff Wells on his site had spoiled the ending of the movie because I sent him an email where I talked about it with him because I knew he'd seen it and I'd seen it. But he went and posted that. And so a lot of people who read that, I think it's going to diminish their experience or maybe not. You know, maybe it won't. I don't know. Mm. We've been talking about Annette Benning and, and Natalie Portman as if it's already just a two-person uh, horse race, and it may not be because I think Nicole Kidman and, and, and there are other we, – we shouldn't narrow it down yet to two people, even though in our minds we might have, have – we might know who we think are the two best. It's not – nothing's carved in stone yet. Mm. We haven't seen the rabbit hole yet, and this is a great role. 
my opinion, she deserves to be in the running. I don't know if she will because it's kind of a it's a it's a more subtle characterization. The movie itself doesn't have the same extreme highs and lows that a movie of that subject matter might have. Mm-hmm. So you know, it, it it's it's not quite the gut punch that people might be expecting from it. So it, it, I could see it sort of getting lost in the shuffle in a similar way um, as the way back um, the. Escape from the Gulag movie, um, extremely dramatic material, but handled in such a subtle way that it that it it doesn't stand up and shout, "Give me an Oscar." Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I got the impression from the play that that it was a it would make a really wonderful New Yorker story from the nineteen eighties, maybe. You know, it's that si- it's that type of it's that size of story. The size of the mm-hmm. of the story is uh, is like a short story. And yeah. it, it may not be big enough for an, an, an to carry an Oscar. Yeah, it doesn't make it bad. It just it seems like it seems like there's a there's often a certain size to the movies that sort of get Oscars glommed onto them. Mm, right, exactly. And the Oscar race is kind of silly, really, in the end. But um... <laughs> <laughs> it is, and we're going to talk about that. We'll talk about that later on when we talk about 1965 and 1964. Oh, okay, yeah. And it's the same thing going on that go for the big, splashy, technicolor extravaganzas sometimes, and those are not always the great movies of the year. That concludes part one of our episode eight Movie Gasm podcast. Please be sure to check out part two where we delve into um, the Oscar year when Dr. Strangelove lost to My Fair Lady. We talk a good deal about Beckett and the gay undertones or overtones in that film. We talk a lot about uh, Stanley Kubrick's set designer, Ken Adams, um, whom Ryan knows quite a bit about. So it's a really good listen, and um, we'll see you there soon. Thanks for listening. Bye.